Well, you know, I got to say, I uh, found it interesting, to say the least, uh, listening to Mike Krause describe this era of his life when he was competing as a long-distance runner. Uh, if you missed last Sunday, uh, Mike was explaining a time about 15 years ago when he was roommates with myself and Chris Fowler, which was, I'll admit, a calorie-burning exercise uh, of its own, and uh, he had gotten up to 80 kilometers a week uh, running long distances, and he'd begun to enter a number of races he shared last week, and in one of them, he even won uh, an award for his age group. And he was, you know, like 135 pounds, best shape he's ever been in. And, and, and all that, um, just so we're clear today, all of that is absolutely true. It wasn't like preacher embellishment. He was, he was dead on accurate in retelling the, 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 the facts of the, of the events. What, what I found interesting, though, was that Mike used this illustration or example as an introduction to a morning on discipline. Because as his roommate, um, I don't necessarily uh, recall the events of that era of our lives um, in identically the same way, if you know what I'm saying. Um, from what I remember, dude uh, was a lot more interested in the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon than in doing 30K long runs. And I don't know what your experience with Michael has been, but I found him far less drawn to the road and far more drawn to Dairy Queen, if, if, uh, if you know what I mean. And the way I actually remember things was repeatedly this size eight and a half Nike would make contact with his rear end and actually prompt him to want to go for the training runs that, that, that he was going on. And I, I, I kind of feel that way because ever since he parted ways with those roommates and that size eight and a half Nike, um, he, he's never been the same, has he? And I don't just feel that back then. Um, I, I'm experiencing that real time these days. Every time I sit in a meeting with Mike and he's eating birdseed instead of honey crullers. Because now Mike has a new roommate who's putting her foot in his derriere to try to get him to eat more healthy and has converted him into virtually a vegetarian. And so I'm looking at this guy thinking, I'm not sure that his master's was in discipline, uh, but he has managed to do some very disciplined things uh, from my perspective because of the the people around him. And uh, I, I kind of felt, you know, it was interesting that he used that as an example of discipline because from my perspective, it's more of an example of what Henry Cloud once said where he said, where, where discipline is lacking, you're to apply an external structure. That, that's much more the, the perspective that I saw. Henry Cloud once said that, describing how for many of us, um, self-discipline is actually kind of a kind of an oxymoron. It's like two words that you know don't really fit together. Like Microsoft works, you know, they don't really belong together. And uh, and he said where 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 people struggle with self-discipline, where self-discipline is lacking, 
you should apply external structures that in many cases happen to be other people. And I feel like from that perspective, Mike is a great example to introduce this morning's subject matter in our boot camp series because that's what we want to talk about today. The external structures that God has provided us in other people and more particularly in each other. If uh, you're new or just joining us for the first time in this series, we've launched into uh, a one-month series in the month of September called Boot Camp, uh, which is intended simply to be a uh, deliberate, um, intensive focus on our health and fitness. But rather than a, a, a typical boot camp focusing on our physical condition, uh, as a church community across all of our locations, we're journeying through this month focusing on our spiritual condition. And what's driving us is the memory verse that we introduced uh, the very first Sunday that we launched into this from 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. And I'm going to put it on the screen this morning um, in, in a way that we're going to read together again, but this time we're going to have to read parts of it from memory, okay? So we're all going to read this together again across all of our locations, but we're going to do it now from memory. So let's see how well we do. Are you ready? Here we go. It says there, physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way, for it promises life both for the present and for the future. Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way, for it promises life, both for the present and the future. And we learned in that first week the value of our spiritual condition and our spiritual health and fitness and the way that it can affect not just our forever, but our every day. And then last week, Mike introduced us into this idea of discipline and how essential discipline is. But in both weeks, we learned that there's a fundamental difference um, in, in regards to God in focusing on our spiritual health compared to our physical health, even with regards to discipline. That from a spiritual perspective, spiritual health is not all about pulling up your bootstraps or getting your act together or, you know, kind of muscling your way into better shape for God. But rather, the good news of Jesus Christ, what we refer to as the gospel, is all about how God in his mercy and grace and love sent his son to die and rise again so that he could be the spiritual agent and resource that invades us and that gives us not only the capacity to change, but the underlying motivation to do that, even when it comes to self-discipline. Mike read a verse last week that said, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. And when it comes to promoting our spiritual health and fitness and even the discipline to do it, God wants to give that to us as we open our hearts and lives up to him. So to perform spiritual exercise in that sense is simply to create space to open ourselves up for God to do his thing. Now, for many of us, um, just like in the physical world, um, we find that our discipline is lacking. That it's not enough just to hear a message on being disciplined and then ratchet up our discipline. We need an outside kind of external structure or support system, much in the same way that author and psychologist Henry Cloud once shared. 
And the cool thing, and I know that we've talked about this in many environments around here, is that God had this idea of giving us, as a collective family of followers of his, the gift of each other to be that support system, to be that external structure where discipline is lacking. He's given us the gift of what, in churchy language, we often refer to as community. Community, and, and I don't think it's hard, even for those of us outside of a life of faith right now, to, to realize the strength in numbers that comes from community, whether it's, you know, a study group in college or a, a, a running group that's helping support you and get you in shape physically. We, we know that community helps because of the strength and support that others provide, and it goes along with the wisdom of the Bible that we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, where it says there that two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Well, we talk a lot in environments like this, that we want to be two are better than one, three are even better kind of people because of the the support system, the external structure that God has provided us in each other. And if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, you know that we don't just believe that this is wisdom that comes from Scripture. We actually believe that this is fundamental to the way that God first and ideally created human beings to function. Way back in the second chapter of the Bible, in uh, verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, it says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man I created to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And in this passage, before sin and corruption and our distorted relationship with God has even entered the world, God you know, has still created this person in, in kind of this perfect utopia, he still declares that there's one thing that's not good about this perfect creation. The thing that's not good is the aloneness of this human being. And so he says, I'm going to create a helper for him, or in the original language, what we often translate as the uh, Australian version, the help mate for him. And I'm going to create these partnerships of community whereby people can function better together spiritually than they otherwise could alone. That's the phenomenon of community that we see from front to back in the pages of Scripture that we have talked about for many, many years around here. And because we've talked about it so commonly, um, I actually want to take a bit of a different focus this morning and instead of just talking about why community is so important, because I think we can generally track with that, whether we're into faith or not, I want to talk more this morning about, practically speaking, how to experience more of this in your life. Because um, we have a whole area of our church and, and a whole staff leadership team that is devoted to trying to elevate this attribute or this quality of our way of life. And over the years, they've developed a lot of experience and wisdom on this. They've done a lot of consulting and research. And, and, and they've boiled down the way of life of a helpmate down to three very basic practical commitments that if you and I were to make in increasing ways today, we would actually be able to experience more of the external structures to elevate our discipline and ultimately elevate our spiritual health 
and fitness. So this morning, I want to talk about those three basic commitments. If you're taking notes in your mini mag, um, I hope that you'll jot these down. The first one is that helpmates require what we're going to call a different frequency of contact. A different frequency of contact. See, what we've appreciated over the years is that most of our relationships are circumstantial in nature. Meaning if the circumstances are ripe and we happen to work with someone or we happen to be, you know, in the same city as someone or, you know, in, in, in a lot of natural relational patterns with someone, we will re- relate to them often. But if not, we'll, you know, go months, if not years before really connecting. Connecting doesn't typically happen naturally. I know in my own life, I'm starting to now uh, see hockey families or families from my kids' school that I haven't seen in months because the circumstances didn't really lend themselves to. And then, you know, in the springtime, I'll see a number of my neighbors who have, like me, kind of hibernated in the winter because it's too cold to go and get the mail and walk around the street uh, yourselves. And so there, there are these circumstances that tend to dictate my relationships and determine the quality of community that I experience. And so what we've realized is that you actually have to supersede that and be more intentional and more deliberate and more faithful to preserve a constancy of contact in order to allow the wonder of community and relationships to happen. And, you know, we see this in Scripture. In in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I love this passage because it it talks about the way of life of a helpmate, a person who's spurring another person on and and encouraging one another and, and, you know, getting more out of our spiritual condition together than we could alone. But it says you do that through the simple practical behavior of not giving up meeting together of simply being deliberate enough to maintain a regularity of the rhythm in your schedule and to be kind of committed enough to that schedule to maintain it, to not give up meeting together. So consider your own schedule and the kind of people that could be helpmates in your life and take a step today of greater intentionality. You know, book that Saturday morning breakfast into your calendar. Book that midweek coffee or lunch or that evening gathering and then stick to that commitment. If you don't feel like it, stick to that commitment. If you're tired, stick to that commitment. If you had a bad day, stick to that commitment. Especially if you had a bad day, stick to that commitment. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead develop a greater frequency of contact that many of the natural patterns and circumstances of our relational worlds don't allow. Number two, you want to live and experience more of this dynamic of being a helpmate. It requires not only a different uh, frequency of contact, it requires a different kind of conversation. It requires a different kind of conversation. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize that the vast majority of discussion and conversation we have with people is fluff. It's surface, it's small talk. We talk about the weather and we talk about politics and we talk about, you know, what's going on with Miley Cyrus these days and whatever else we see in the, in the headlines. And very rarely 
do we actually talk about issues of faith? And yet, if we're going to be helpmates to one another, if we're going to be spiritually stimulating one another's growth and development and spiritual fitness, we're going to have to enter into that subject matter and have conversations of that nature more frequently than we naturally maybe would. And so it requires a certain deliberacy and intentionality, not to, just to get together, but also to talk about a certain you know, to talk about certain things and to talk about them in a certain way. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. It says there that speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, what an interesting verse that says, you know, in what we talk about, matters of faith, and in the way in which we talk about them, speaking both the truth to one another and in love for each other, that's what triggers our maturity into the likeness of Jesus. That it's actually what and how we talk with one another, the kind of conversation we have that directly translates into the maturity and spiritual health and fitness that we can experience. So instead of just talking about, you know, whether, you know, summer was too short this year or whether the Leafs are going to make the playoffs, which as an aside, they will for sure, obviously. Um, let's, let's try even this week to ask each other how we're doing spiritually. Or, or if that's too weird of an opening line, ask each other, you know, what we're learning or what we're reading these days, or what kind of change we're hoping to see made in our lives in the, in the next little while. You know, let's actually enter in to a conversation about faith and, and faith-related issues. And as we share with one another, you know, if there are things to agree with, let's agree with them and encourage them. And if there are things that we don't agree with, don't just Think about it and think, oh man, they're nuts. And, and talk about that person behind their back. Let's have the courage to say that truth to them. And not just encourage them, but confront and, 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 and kind of be, be critical in a loving way as well. Let, let's enter into that kind of zone of conversation because it's that kind of conversation. Not just a different frequency of contact, but a different kind of conversation that enables us to be that community that God intends us to be to promote our spiritual health and fitness. And finally, number three, um, if you want to live this helpmate quality of life, you want to you apply and experience these external structures where self-discipline is low, um, you need a different depth of relationship. A different depth of relationship. This actually is somewhat similar to the different kind of conversation in that it involves things that you talk about. But in particular, this aspect of helpmate living um, demands a, a, certain, a certain subject of conversation. You need to be talking about a certain thing. And I'll illustrate this in 1 Thessalonians 2 where the Apostle Paul says to a church there, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I find this verse really interesting because Paul, as a, as a church leader with, you know, a church that he loves, is obviously going to want to talk about church and faith issues. I, I don't believe that Paul is going to have difficulty entering into a different kind of conversation. That's going to be his natural kind of conversation. But he's clear to articulate that he cares about these people so much 
That he didn't just talk about faith with them. He didn't just talk about the good news of Jesus. He didn't just talk about theology and church. He said, we shared with you our own lives as well. And I'd want us to appreciate the difference between the two. There's a big difference between getting in the car today and driving off the parking lot and talking about today's message. You know, thinking about whether the preacher was funny or whether he threw Krauss under the bus or whether he made any sense or what our score was out of 10. Or, that's analyzing the message. Sharing your life is talking about how this message actually affected you. What challenged you? What, what, what did you disagree with or struggle with? Or more importantly, what do you sense God saying to you? There's a big difference between talking about issues of faith and spirituality and talking about your own faith and spirituality. There's a difference between talking about, you know, what the Bible says about handling money and how you're handling your money or the money that God has entrusted you to manage and steward. There's a big difference between musing with other people about parenting and parenting strategies versus talking about your parenting and I'd want us to understand that if we want to experience this phenomenon called a helpmate level of living, we need a vulnerability and an authenticity with one another to allow each other into our real lives, into what we're feeling, what we're struggling with, what we're excited about, what's making us anxious, and what we're daydreaming over. You know, you can develop a greater frequency of contact and you can even develop in that greater frequency of contact a different kind of conversation. You could talk about faith issues and still never experience the wonder of living like a helpmate or benefiting from helpmates because no one, even though they want to, no one really knows what's going on in your life. And so you really need all three of these ingredients, especially the authenticity and vulnerability of a different depth of relationship so we're not just skimming across the surface or staying in the theoretical in our experience when it comes to experiencing community and this not just wise but god designed way of life called living as helpmates those really are the three kind of most simple but significant and practical ingredients that we can employ employing a different frequency of contact, a different kind of conversation, and a different depth of relationship. And to push this even more practically around here across all our locations at Southridge, the, the group of people that we have who drive this part of the way of life of faith in our community have even built a system around supporting this in each of our lives practically. It's called our life group ministry. And if you don't know what a life group is, it's kind of a, a bite-sized chunk of people, you know, a dozen people or so, that gather together during the week on a regular basis and simply try to live out these behaviors and live out these values to a greater degree. Now, just to be clear, a life group um, is not a guarantee of helpmate-level living. We, we can't... We can't force that on anyone. We can't guarantee that as a church. What we can guarantee, though, is that we can create playgrounds for you to experiment with these behaviors in hopes that you can learn them to a greater degree to ultimately live that way in your everyday. Life groups are not about the program or the two hours that you get together. The program, like everything around here, the program is intended to catalyze our way
way of life. And life groups hopefully do that by giving us this playground to experiment with a different frequency of contact and experiment with a different kind of conversation and experiment with a different depth of relationship. And as we develop those spiritual muscles to a greater degree, we can experience not just in our life groups, but in all of our relationships, a greater degree of helpmate level living that translates into a greater degree of discipline that translates into a greater degree of spiritual health and fitness. And to get even more practical and to try to be even more supportive of this on this particular Sunday, because we care about this an awful lot as a church, we actually have an event that we've designed to help people get connected in a life group that we call Lifeline. Lifeline, if you're unfamiliar with it, is an event that we do at each location, either right after the service today or in the evening, depending on which location you're a part of, and your host pastor will give you this information at the end of the service. Um, but at Lifeline, what happens is a number of leaders do these mini presentations, leaders of groups that are brand new or are open to adding new people, and they'll present some of the basic information about themselves and their group when and where it meets, uh, the kind of people that are part of the group um, or that it's intended for, uh, the kind of topics you might discuss, whether you're going to do a curriculum or debrief Sunday messages or, you know, talk about life issues or, or that kind of stuff. And then after all of these, you know, mini presentations from these eligible leaders are finished, it's kind of an unstructured free-for-all where every participant at the Lifeline event is then free to kind of choose and to interact and meet any one of the leaders that they felt that they could be suitable as part of their group. And you're, you know, right there on the spot. You, you can sign up for a group or you can sign up even to experiment in the short term with a group. And so I, I hope that you can understand how much support we're trying to provide so that we can actually live this way. And I hope I'm being abundantly clear. Go to Lifeline to join a life group to practice and experiment with the behaviors of community, a different frequency of contact, a different kind of conversation, and a different depth of relationship in hopes that more and more you can live that way in your way of life. That through the supports that we try to provide as a church, we can together experience the wonder of community. Because the truth, gang, is that Physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way because it promises life both for the present and for the future. And the number one ingredient to ratcheting up our spiritual health and fitness is discipline, is the regularity of exposing ourselves to the person and work of Christ. But as Henry Cloud once said, where discipline is lacking, apply external structure. And not just for practical reasons, but for bedrock, fundamental, made-to-work-that-way reasons. God has given us the gift in each other. And I hope this morning that you're encouraged and challenged and even supported to use it and to be it and to take advantage of this wonder that God has given us as a community in one another. You know, when we launched into this series a couple weeks ago, um, I mentioned that there was a, a marriage of some friends of mine that I had been uh, involved in rather closely in kind of a, kind of a counseling and, and consulting way. And I, I, I shared that 
um, as an attempt to kind of build a bridge between my sense of the spiritual health of the people in that marriage and ultimately the quality of the marriage that they were experiencing. I was trying to connect those dots and relate spiritual health to something in our everyday lives that matters to, to many of us and, and to try to make that, that practical bridge. And uh, I just meant to use it as an illustration. I had no idea how many people would want to talk to me um, after the service and, and in the subsequent weeks about where their marriage was at and how they could relate to that illustration and how they needed that eight-and-a-half-sized Nike in their derriere as well to kind of you know, treat their spiritual condition more seriously. And I've had a number of conversations uh, now in the past couple of weeks where I've been fortunate enough to be included in in other people's marriages and in, in some discussions about, uh, you know, where, where they're struggling. And uh, it certainly is a privilege to be included in those conversations, but I, I got to tell you today that many of them have really broken my heart. A- and they haven't broken my heart just because the marriages are struggling. Certainly that's tough and, and is heartbreaking and is a really difficult era to, to go through. What's broken my heart way more than that, though, is how alone and how secretive many of these marriages and these marriage struggles have actually been. I find myself having coffees and, you know, in meetings, and, and, and I'll listen to people, and I'll listen to couples, and I'll think, you know, did, did you have to get to financial ruin before you could share that you were struggling financially with your with your spouse or even with a close trusted friend you know couldn't couldn't you have shared with a good friend that you and your spouse were in a little bit of a dry spell for you know a month or maybe even a season instead of going like decades on end without any kind of romance or intimacy in your marriage to now where you're at the point where you're just not feeling the love and don't think you'll ever get it back. I just, it breaks my heart for how alone so many of us actually live when God has given us this remarkable gift of one another. And even cooler, he's given us this church and the system of connection that we have in place that will work if you will let it. So long as you and I will commit to those basic behaviors of a different frequency of contact, a different kind of conversation, and a different depth of relationship, knowing just how important those external structures are where self-discipline is low, appreciating the difference that all of that can make in our spiritual health and our spiritual fitness. Because physical exercise has some value, but spiritual exercise is valuable in every way for it promises life both in the present and the future. I pray this morning that across all of our locations, we will give each other the gift of one another as helpmates to stimulate our spiritual fitness to levels that we've never experienced before. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I want to thank you um, not just for Jesus today, but for the way that Jesus can work in other people. I, I thank you, God, for the way that you designed us, knowing that our aloneness isn't good, but intending us to be in community with one another and then through the work of your Son, 
Not only restoring us personally to you, but restoring the capacity that we have by your spirit in all of us uh, to experience the wonder of community once again. God, I pray for everyone who's not yet connected and experiencing this kind of community that they would take a step today. And more specifically, I pray that they take the step of experiencing this Lifeline event. And at that Lifeline event, that they take the step of joining, at least as an experiment, a life group. And for those of us who are joining or are already part of life groups, I pray that we would use them as the playgrounds to develop the, the capacities for community that you've outlined in your scripture that we've seen again and again. Help us to live as helpmates with one another. God, by your spirit, not by our will or effort, do that work among us and make us an extraordinary community that can foster new levels of spiritual health and fitness among all of us, knowing that that kind of health and fitness has value in every way, promising life, both now and forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.